welcome once again into the Soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bredos. This is episode 147. As always, you know what I'm going to say. A reminder to rate, review, download, subscribe, tell a friend about our little podcast here. We're thrilled to have you join us every week, trying to stay on top of it. And this week we have a USA-Mexico game, the Continental Classico there in Glendale, Arizona, anticipating a big crowd for our first USA-Mexico in 13 months. That's important. So we're going to welcome back Jeff Carlisle, who covers uh, U.S. soccer for ESPN. He'll be joining us in the business end. We'll talk about the roster. We'll talk about the rivalry. We'll talk about dual nationals. We'll talk about the future. And uh, again, never a dull minute covering this U.S. team. When we'll get a sporting director, when we'll get a coach. I mean, I, I honestly, I've already recorded it, and there wasn't enough time to talk about everything. It really is phenomenal. And we'll also talk about the European-based players versus the MLS-based players. We have a big player pool. That's exciting. I'm confident on a lot of players. Some of the guys at the top have taken a, uh, have gone a wrong down, and we will uh, focus on them. But we have a big player pool. Coming up in stoppage time, I got to experience another El Trafico, another Clasico Angelino, whatever you want to call it, as LAFC visited the LA Galaxy in uh, one that stood out for very different reasons. And I will talk about that in stoppage time. We'll talk about my MLS weekend. Very excited to have been back in Columbus, Ohio. We'll get into that here shortly. It is the Soccer OG. Check us out. Tell a friend. We are getting underway. Had quite the footballing weekend. This past weekend, I ended up with my uh, broadcast partner, Dunny, in Columbus, Ohio. I haven't been there for this new stadium, Lower.com Field. It used to be at the old Crew Stadium. I was there, I think, in 2017 for a MLS Cup playoff game. It was in uh, October. It was very cold. That There's no windbreak for that old stadium. Much respect to uh, that uh, facility. It was the first soccer-specific stadium. And look where we are now, where we have more than 20 all over the league. And that list is going to grow. We're going to get one in New York. Maybe we'll get one in Boston. I'd be hearing rumblings that the New England Revolution might be getting a, 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 a Boston stadium. You know, just a few little things here and there. But we've been hearing about it in New York, and they're going to get one. A big money uh, new venue there in Queens, New York. So this is the big part of the league and a big part of the growth, as we will talk about in a little bit ahead in stoppage time, about the fan culture, the visiting fan culture, which was through the roof this weekend. So just... Uh, you got to be, you know, Ohio, there's so many places that were, for lack of a better expression, a bit of a backwater, right, and it, when it came to soccer. No one talked about soccer in Ohio. Now we have two clubs there, and we have two amazing stadiums, one in Columbus, one in Cincinnati. No one talked about soccer in the South. Now we have clubs in Nashville, Charlotte, Orlando. I won't say Miami, even though they're in the South. Atlanta. And they're all doing pretty well. Some are doing really well. So this is very exciting because we all, I think with our, our league, we have the blinders on and we all focus on our club. Uh, you know, I talk to supporters all the time. They don't watch what's happening elsewhere in the league. That's something we've got to alleviate, but you got to get excited about it. So that's what I'm talking about, Columbus. Had a great time uh, calling a game there. They didn't cut any quarters building that place. It's, I, Dunny, we, have, we had a ride back to the hotel, which is a mile away. He insisted that we walk 
which we did. I I didn't mind walking, but I had my bag with my computer, and it was uh, it was a bit tedious. But it wasn't a long walk, and it was a uh, it was a picturesque walk because you walk by the soccer stadium, then you walk by their AAA baseball, where the Yankees affiliate is, and then you walk by Nationwide Arena where the hockey team plays. That's what you want in a sports city. You want all the venues close by, and you want them downtown. Columbus has got that. And it was packed. It was a big-time game. Um, let's celebrate those things uh, for MLS here and there. So I've been doing some good games. I don't know what this week's going to hold. We'll be in Real Salt Lake, San Jose. San Jose and Jeremy Abobasi. Um Jeremy Abobasi was in the news because of what happened with the Red Bulls, but he's making news by his play. That's really exciting. The earthquakes have been a pleasant, pleasant surprise. Real Salt Lake will turn around, but pumped to get back there. Sandy, Utah. Short trip for me. So uh, that's next on the calendar. Uh, appreciate you guys uh, uh, following me around. <laughs> but uh, that is uh, it's exciting. So I got off a plane Sunday. Had to connect out of Columbus. Uh, I took Spirit Airways. I was in Las Vegas. So I took a Spirit Airways flight, which was direct to Columbus. Spirit, Air- Spirit Airways, I got to say, I know they get a lot of bad press. It's a good airline. The, the flight attendants are, are very... Uh, pleasant folks. Um, everything was on time. It was good. It was a good experience. Just the the, the, the seats. The seats, they got to put a little cushion on there. Got to get like those Southwest Airlines. You get a nice little cushion on those seats. I won't complain about it. I would fly Spirit. That's all. But I know, uh, you know, the people were very, very pleasant. Just uh, give me a little cushion. And then I got off. I got in at like at 10.30. Actually, I got in at around 11.00. And then I ran home, and then I made it. My wife drove me to Dignity Hill Sports Park. And we'll talk about that game in stoppage time, because I think it's important in the big picture of things that we are discussing here in uh, uh, Major League Soccer and how we get from here to there. We, uh, it, it's baby steps, but it, uh, I always feel like it's a step forward. It's less and less step backwards. So we'll save that conversation for, for a little bit later, a lot to talk about. I don't know if you guys saw this. Did you see the Real Madrid post? Because uh, they're going back and forth. And then um, Jean Laporta had this audio hit where he's talking about... It's all in Spanish and Catalan and it's subtitled in Spanish when uh, Jean Laporta is talking. And he's saying, you know, this is a club that had all the breaks. Speaking about Real Madrid. They had all... they For years, they get all the calls. And uh, it was weird. But... Um, and they had this video, and I, hopefully there's somewhere in English, but they talk about uh, Jean Laporta taking shots at Real Madrid. And then um, Real Madrid stops, they have the audio file, they have the clip of Laporta, and then it slips into a history of Barcelona's uh, connection to the fascist pass of Generalissimo Franco. How Real Madrid struggled in the 40s and 50s and emerged from that, whereas Barcelona benefited from uh, the dictator, Francisco Franco. It was a horrible time in Spain. You know, you you tread lightly when you bring this up because this is, you know, unspeakable stuff that happened. uh, That Barcelona benefited from that. And I'm not saying they did, but I just never seen anything like this. And Real Madrid put it out there and it was shared a lot. It aired on Real Madrid TV. 
Um, and it detailed the connections with Barcelona and Franco. I mean, you take a look at it, you just don't see things like this. You know, you're treading in very delicate ground. Uh, the uh, This was all about the referee payment scandal that is de dealing with Barcelona. But it is getting hairy with these two clubs. And we don't want to talk about it. We want to talk about the play on the field like we're doing about the Premier League. What's going on in the in the Bundesliga? A great race brewing. But Real Madrid-Barcelona, this is going to be the story going in. Because Barcelona have the league wrapped up. Uh, Real Madrid, Champions League, we're doing this on a Tuesday, coming up in a little bit. And that'll be first and foremost. And they look like they have one foot in the door. They'll probably get by Chelsea very little, uh, very little resistance from Frank Lampard's side. Very disappointing. By the way, Chelsea, uh, it, it's this is this is an abject failure. The money they spent because it, it already, if you say the six hundred million dollars that they spent on players, that valuation of players in the market is probably now somewhere in the four hundred range. I love I love Enzo Fernandez. But he's not a $130 million player. He's probably a $40 to $50 million player. Uh, Mudrik, not a $100 million player. Probably a $40 to $50 million player. So you can see, no, no one's going to pay Chelsea for these guys. They're stuck with them, which was the plan. They, they made this money. They didn't build it around a system. This is going to be a failure for Chelsea. I wish it wasn't, because I want Todd Bowley, because he's American, to do well. But everything you see about it, uh, the popping through the managers, the Frank Lampard, Lampard um, appointment. It's just, it's not going to work. And now when they get bounced out of the Champions League, and maybe they make a huge comeback, who knows? And I, I, I'm eating crow here. And again, I want Chelsea to do well because of Bowley, because of Christian Pulisic. Uh, it is, uh, once that's done, they're not going to the Champions League next year. They're going to be kind of lost and they're going to need these players to play much, much better. They're going to have to really vet that and see where it goes. It's still a desirable club. And uh, it's just, I think, uh, we're in for a little bit uh, of, of some problems there, certainly. But Real Madrid-Barcelona, that's going on. The, the Bundesliga Bayern won. Dortmund had beaten Stuttgart. Gilles Reyna had a game winner on his foot. But then they allowed a 97th-minute goal. But that's still going to be a fun race. I am looking forward to that, certainly. What uh, Leeds United, and we're going to talk to Jeff Carlisle here about USA-Mexico coming up here. Uh, Leeds United, they're going to get relegated. So this is, you know, we're talking about U.S. soccer and our European-based players. It's not been good. It's not really not been good that great in 2023. You know, Tyler Adams has been out. They miss him there 100%. Daryl D.K., tore his Achilles. You read the reports about that injury. It it almost it's turns your stomach how bad it is. And we saw the the images of Daryl DK writhing in pain. I mean his his career is taking a huge, huge detour for the worst. Uh some nice some minor bright spots really. Alejandro Sandez has been the best. Ricardo Pepe, you know, Josh Sargent scored a goal the other way. It's, it's, by and large, not doing great. And Leeds, to me, when you talk about... You know, Brendan Aronson's played well at Leeds. He, he's, he's, he's been a bright spot. I watched the game against Liverpool on Monday. I was saying, okay, he's going to score a goal. He didn't. Came close. But they allowed, what, five goals? Then they allowed five goals to, what, Crystal Palace? These are two horrible fixtures. I anticipate Nottingham Forest to figure some things out. They've got the talent. And possibly Leicester... Uh, I, I think Leeds are going to drop in the bottom three again, and they're not going to come out. 
They got huge problems. And that means three American players are going down. Uh, will they stay down with Leeds? I don't know. But I, I have no faith uh, at Leeds. This is, they have bottomed out at the worst possible time. Their best hope is that these other clubs continue to struggle. They have a favorable schedule compared to some of those other teams. But it doesn't matter who you're playing when you're allowing five, six goals to Palace. Obviously, Liverpool's different. But those are just really just horrible goals that they give up. And it, it feels pretty bleak. And that's going to be a lot of steps back for U.S. players overseas. We've got to find, you know, Christian Pulisic, the Leeds players, Daryl D.K., Who's going to come up from the championship? It's obviously not going to be DK. Is it going to be Josh Sargent? I mean, it's not looking great in the EFL championship. Uh, maybe Zach Steffen. We've got to look to the route of the playoffs. But that's uh, that's something there. Uh, currently, you know, we know Burnley's coming up. Sheffield United, uh, Luton Town, and Middlesbrough. Luton Town's got Ethan Horvath. They are third and fourth in the standings. West Brom and Norwich, uh, they, uh, they're still in it. But obviously, we don't know. We don't know. But we'll, we'll tune in for that as well. Some good spots in the Dutch league. But it's the Dutch league. We take it with a grain of salt. And all the goals Ricardo Pepe and Santo Jimenez, Santi Jimenez score, we take it with a grain of salt. But uh, it's problematic. I, I did have a good moment over the weekend. I did have a good moment. I don't care for Arsenal. I don't hate Arsenal. But... Uh, Everyone, they're the very popular team. And I get on Twitter and all these American accounts that I follow love Arsenal. And I hear a lot of it. I don't need it. I'm a West Ham fan. I've struggled. And I was on an airplane and I began to watch the game. But I prepared for the worst. When I was connecting on my plane, I noticed they were down two goals. So I clicked on my, my, the icon on my, on my phone. And when I landed and I saw 2-2, I was doing backflips. Could not believe it. A point that probably will go a long way in keeping West Ham up and a point that will probably derail Arsenal's title hopes. Not so much because of Arsenal. Man City, this is as good as Man City has, has looked in many years. And it's because of Erling Haaland. They have that great team plus this forward who is going to rewrite the history books. Oh, he's got 32 goals already. He's, got, he's on track, I think, for 40, 41. <laughs> it's, enjoy this. And this has to be the year for Man City. They're going to they're probably catch Arsenal and pass them. And they get rid of Bayern. They beat Bayern. And again, I'm saying this before the game. Because Bayern played well in that first leg. It just got away. Man City took their chances. They get by there. Man City's better than Real Madrid. And Man City's better than anyone on that other side of the bracket. This has to be the year. This has to be the year. And they're playing their best soccer at the end of the season. So a lot to look forward to. It's April, then we have May. Then we'll take a break. We have the Women's World Cup in the summer. Tune into MLS. If you're listening to this, pick an MLS club and let's get going. We do have USA-Mexico. It's going to be the first of maybe three or four USA-Mexico games this year. So let's dial in. Coming up here in the business end, Jeff Carlisle, reporter of ESPN, will break down all things USA and Mexico. We'll talk a little Mexico as well about the state they are in. Sakaroji. We're back here on the Soccer OG. We're getting into the business end and the gentleman we've had on before and we uh, always appreciate and uh, 
enjoy his insight. Jeff Carlisler, who was with uh, ESPN, covers the U.S. men's national team amongst many things. But that's obviously first and foremost as we're on the eve of the inaugural Continental Classico, which will be played. <laughs> well, you you laugh. <laughs> I am laughing. I mean, I, I can't help it. It's you know. These games have been going on for years. These friendlies outside of windows have been going on for years. So, you know, to me, it's, it's, you know, it's, it, yeah, been there, done that, seen it. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's to, to give it kind of this new shiny name is just kind of strikes me as funny a little bit. It is. It is a shiny name. I think it, it rolls off the tongue very nicely, but I like, I think when people first heard about it, I mean, I, for one, I'll tell my, my reaction, you roll your eyes a little bit because it's, it's, it's a moneymaker. It's at a weird time. It's not at a FIFA date. Uh, we were, I was doing my uh, prep for uh, Columbus, New England, and I spoke to Wilfred Nancy, and um, I said to him, you got to be happy about Aiden Morris making this uh, the roster. And he's like, yeah, we're happy about Aiden, but, you know, it's not a FIFA date, so we're not doing backflips about in the middle of the season, you know. So everyone's got their guard up, so to speak, and for obvious reasons. But it, it's happening on a Wednesday. It's all MLS players. So they are going to the camp. I imagine they all go back and most of them, if not all of them will play over the weekend for their clubs. But again, it it is shoehorned in there. I will say for a rivalry that uh, is held in such high esteem because they play so regularly, they haven't played in over a year. So I guess that's the, I mean, that's the hook for me and I'll be excited. I know you'll be up, up late watching it here in Phoenix and it's, it's USA Mexico. So it's good. So it's, it's kind of like the doorway to a busy 2023 that we'll see. But when you see just um, we put aside all that, all about the game and how it, it's at a weird time on its, on its surface, USA, Mexico, basically it's also like an MLS league MX matchup, which we're going to see a lot in 2023. Uh, is there enough there to get people excited about it? Uh, I mean, I think there's always excitement when you're looking at younger players and you know kind of looking at the next wave of guys that that are going to come through um you know i'm i'm excited to see how a brandon vasquez does i mean assuming that he gets on the field um you know i i I hope he at least gets some minutes um because i think this is a guy who's just like got a lot of great attributes um in terms of finding the the net and you know great size mobile um has done really well with fc cincinnati so uh you know those kinds of guys i'm i'm intrigued to see and then you know you've got other guys like you know alan senora i mean you know in the midfield it's it's interesting you've got kellen acosta there you've got jackson yule there guys who have gotten a fair bit of time acosta in particular with the national team but then there's some other guys like a james sands who is kind of looking to get his 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 name back in there and then a paxton palmacall i mean you know, obviously a late ad, no less, but yeah, a late ad and seizes a an opportunity. Who, who had hip sur- surgery a few years ago, and it's kind of taken him a while to to get back to his very, very best. And uh, and Aiden Morris, like you like you mentioned. So um, you know, I think there's always excitement to, to look at some of those younger guys and and kind of get them introduced to this rivalry. I think I think there is benefit in that. And so that you know, there's no World Cup qualifying this time around, but you know, when these these intense regional battles come along later in their careers um you know they're still the gold cup you know they'll be that much better prepared i think some people you know have made it because we knew when this was coming up that the nation's league roster was going to be european based this was going to be mls based you mentioned alan sonora 
Uh, it's not exclusively uh, all MLS, but uh, and, and during the Nations League games as well, you know, people would would say it would would it was one of the first things that was pointed out for the first time in so so amount of years. There's not an MLS player on this roster, but that was by design um, because they knew this April game would would allow these players to get into it. But still, it's it's weird because you know you talk to some of these players and like Jesus Fadeda was one, and you know they want to be on that Nations League, they want to be in there as well but this is the way it fell and now they instead of that camp they get this game but I mean I was I looked at the roster and I, as you said you branded Vasquez and the players you mentioned and several others and I go for an all MLS roster this is it's pretty strong granted it could always be stronger because there is a a huge movement of players going to Europe uh, on a regular basis uh, but when you look at the two rosters is is does it feel like there is a, a big gap uh, there's a gap but you know is how how significant do you think that talent gap is? Um, I don't know if it's all that big. I mean, just looking at the level of experience. And I agree with you on that, too. Obviously, but yeah, I mean, was- I think when you look at the level of experience of the two rosters, I mean, Mexico's got plenty of guys who either haven't been capped or who have like less than 10 caps. And so, uh, you know, it's uh, and then you've got guys like Uriel Antuna and Alexis Vega and Luis Chavez, uh, you know, Jesus Gallardo's got 82 caps. So, I mean, there's that experience element as well. And uh, so I think, that you know, that's evened out because the U.S. has got guys like Walker Zimmerman and, you know, Serginho Dest. I mean, we have yeah. coming off of a World Cup, um, you know, and, you know, like I said earlier, Kellen Acosta. So, I mean, I think it's it's fairly balanced in that regard. I mean, we'll see what happens when they get on the field. I mean, you know, there's not a whole lot of time to, to get the guys together and, and get them on the same page. I mean, this is, this, like you said, it shoehorned is, is a great description for, for where this game <laughs> fell. Do you own a, do you own a shoehorn by chance, Jeff? I do. I do. <laughs> Back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have, I have one, to use it. I have one not anymore, far. But. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So I, I think, in terms of experience, I think, um, uh, you know, also in, in giving young guys, guys a shot, I mean, you know, you got Josh Winder and, and Caleb Wiley and, uh, you know, for Mexico, you know, you know, the, the forwards, neither one of those guys has been capped, you know, you know, Ivan Lopez from Toluca and Roberto De La Rosa from Pachuca. I mean, they're, they're young guys who are just kind of making their way, uh, in the professional game. So, um, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I think, uh, I think, I don't think there's a huge gap, uh, you know, in, in terms of the players that are, are going to be available for this match. So just out of curiosity, I mean, how many of these guys, if there was a combined top U.S. team, which we're going to see later in 2023, we'll talk a little bit, obviously that Nations League in June is going to be very compelling, which will have another USA-Mexico game which uh, you really can't have too many. And then we hopefully, and all due respect to Panama, we would get a USA-Canada final, which uh, the the, uh, the Flames have been stoked recently about uh, Canada's spot in the pecking order. And then potentially in the Gold Cup, and then we're off and running into 2024 and eventually 2026. But if you thought of a, a complete U.S. team, um, you mentioned some of the players. How many guys from this group do you think would join the Christian Polisics and the Brendan Aronsons and the Weston McKinney's. I, I, I mean, off the top of my head, I was obviously say Zimmerman and Acosta, maybe uh, Fereda and 
maybe Van, Brandon Vasquez, depending on the forward situation. We're going to talk about Daryl DK, who's now out of the picture for horrible stretch, six to nine months, horrible visuals that we saw him and struggling with that and, and overcome with emotion. But uh, I mean, I guess I'd put the number maybe around four, maybe more. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it would be, I think it'd be like half a dozen, maybe, yeah. maybe you go that deep. Um, I mean, you've got Zimmerman, you've got Dest, you've got Dest, of course, you know, yeah, Jack Moore, who I think is still in with a shout, Kellen Acosta for sure. Um, you know, Jordan Morris, um, <laughs> the guy the fans love to hate for some reason. Um, Oof. You know, he's had a really good season so far for Seattle. So, and then Jesus Ferreira as well. I mean, it's, you know, obviously, you know, different guys are are, are trying to establish themselves in, in this new cycle, but some guys are injured. I mean, you look at a Tyler Adams, um, you know, that guy is so important to, to what the U.S. tries to do. Um, so I think that's probably job one for Anthony Hudson as he, prepares for this game, but then also for the nation's league. Um, you know, how does he, how does he cope? You know, how does he uh, compensate for, for not having a, a Tyler Adams out there? Um, you know, that that's going to be, uh, I think a big question uh, going forward. So, um, you know, I think there, I guess the point I'm trying to make is there, there's always push and pull guys coming up, guys getting injured, you know, guys trying to reestablish them, themselves. So, uh, it, it could be as many as six, but I wouldn't see it being more than that. Um, and, yeah. and and again, we'll see who's available. I mean, that that always factors into it. Serginio Dest uh, situation, and and I, and I guess in many ways that is the value of this game, and we've seen that in the January camp. I mean, the January camp, you know, people referenced it as cu- Camp Cupcake, but looking back, it is it was a very valuable tool for certain players. And I put Alejandro Zendejas at the top of that list, who's now a full U.S. international, and right. I was. We were talking, I was talking about Brian Dunseth. It also helped Colombia and Serbia, which have a lot of U.S.-based players, um, make it into the national team. So it wasn't a wasted practice by any means. And I think as time goes by, we'll see that even more. But uh, you get Sergio Dest in there. You get these young players. I, I'm thrilled Winder and, and Wiley, who uh, project to be guys that could um, be there in 2026, potentially, or certainly are on a pathway. But... This is I mean, our roster is getting bigger and bigger. The quality is there. And I think these are it's going to be very difficult decisions because in the case of Sergio Des performing horribly uh, with club, I mean, you, it, it's it's been an abject. It's been a lost year for him on the club level. Uh, other players are not playing as much or maybe not performing, not to the point like, you know, Christian Pulisic's not playing for Chelsea. He's not going to lose his spot. But there are other guys there that you would like to see that maybe not hitting that in their European clubs. And you want that pressure, right? You want that pressure for some of these other guys to apply that here in, uh, in the big picture, but it's uh, these games can give, can help close the gap a little bit. I imagine with some of these positions and, and and I think the U S wants to cast a bigger net uh, because they can, because they have these players. It's not like it's a short, I mean, some of these fellas won't, won't pan out, but on the surface, they look like they have something. Sure. I mean, you know, you, you talked about casting a wide net. I mean, I think that's another part of Anthony Hudson's remit at the moment. Um, you know, he wants to, uh, you know, he's he's got to take the approach where he, he's building for the next cycle. And, um, you know, I think 
you know, I think that, um, you know, he, he's got to try to, even though there's no permanent manager right now, that, that doesn't mean the work can't be done or shouldn't be done. Um, and sir, he's not going to be the one making the final decision as, as we get deeper in, you know, towards uh, 2026. But like I said, that work's still got to be done. So he's still, you know, he, he's got to take an approach that, you know, he's still trying to build this team and, and maybe shore up some spots. Um, you know, I think part of the reason of Brandon Vasquez is still so, you know, is still intriguing is because, you know, that even though Ricardo Pepe has done really well with Gronigan, um, that number nine spot is still there for the taking, um, especially with, you know, like, you know, Daryl DK obviously having that horrific injury. And, and you know, it's just such a shame because he, he had he's, he's dealt with injuries before and he was looking like he was he's getting back to his best. And, um, you know, for him to go down in that manner and at that time of year and at this time in the cycle when, you know, the opportunity for him was there. I mean, it, it's a real shame. And so, um, but, you know, I think, again, that's, you know, it, the, the onus is on Anthony Hudson to, to keep digging, to keep trying to unearth some gems and, um, you know, just monitor all the, all of these situations, which like you said, are, are presenting themselves in greater and greater numbers. Anthony Hudson, it seems just based on what I see on social media is getting passing grades because of that activity, which is, uh, it's refreshing. I mean, he's not sitting on his hands waiting for a sporting director, which I'll ask you uh, in a little bit, because we're now well into April. Uh, They set a timetable for, I think, the beginning of the Women's World Cup, which is going to be here in an instant. Uh, But Anthony Hudson has checked off a few things. And I want to, I want to want to talk about the dual nationals, because it's very interesting, because I think that's where he's made his his biggest breakthrough thus far. Falar and Balogun's out there. There are some very good signs, but just talking about Alejandro Zendejas, uh, Johnny Cardoso also cap-tied, and now Brandon Vasquez also in that uh, situation, who was asked yesterday at the media gathering about Mexico, and he's he's basically sworn his allegiance to the U.S. He said, I have not, and the way he phrased it was really, really eye-opening. He said, I have not heard anything from the Mexican Federation which, you know, is pretty stunning because Mexico are struggling at that position. Raul Jimenez has not recovered from um, the, 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 his own horrific injury a couple of years ago. They, they've, they have Santiago Jimenez scoring goals in Holland, pardon me, the Netherlands. And there are some other things, but it's not, it's just like the U.S. It's not lock, stock and two smoking barrels. The U.S. competition, I think, is really interesting because you have so many guys keeping Balogun out of the, the discussion for now. So many guys that are good, not great. Pepe's kind of breaking through a little bit, but that is still an open job. But when you hear those comments about Brandon Vasquez, um, what comes to your mind? Because I I know Erling Haaland is not playing for Mexico. So (laughs) at this point, you keep your options open. And Alejandro Zendejas and Anthony Hudson, when he was asked about how the pathway happened, and Zendejas is tearing it up. People say he's the best player for Club America, arguably the biggest and best club in Mexico. He said Club America kind of opened the door to get Zendejas through to the U.S., and now he is with the, the national team. You go back to Ricardo Pepe, which was under Greg Berhalter's watch with the national team. And these dual nationals are now almost uh, exclusively coming to the U.S. men's national team. What, what, what were your thoughts when you heard that from, uh, from Bannon Vasquez in the big picture of the dual nationals? Uh, a little surprised. Um, I mean, it, you lose nothing by picking up the phone. 
you you lose nothing <laughs> by by picking up the phone and talking to this guy and sounding him out and um you know, I mean, who knows? Maybe he's made it abundantly clear through his representatives that it's the U.S. and and that's where Perhaps, he's yeah. do his thing. And and so maybe it's 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 a it's a situation where Mexico is deciding to kind of cut its losses and and focus on, on other other players. But um, it, it you know for a while there it, it seemed like every single dual national when it came down between like you know Mexico and the U.S. when it when it was that kind of decision. It was being contested. It, it was being, it was being fought for, and so it, it's a little. It strikes me as a little odd that um, a guy who's doing as well for FC Cincinnati as Brandon Vasquez has done, you know, over the last you know, fifteen months, um, wouldn't get more of a look. Um, so it's, you know, I, I'm sure that you know at, at youth level. Uh, there's still a lot of, of uh, you know, I'm sure the recruiting wars are alive and well, and, uh, you know, I, I'm sure that that's still going on, but it, it just, it does strike me as strange that, uh, you know, that Mexico seems to have kind of halted its efforts, you know, in terms of that player, um, you know, especially given the success that he's had. Um, but granted, it's, it's a team and a federation in transition. And so, uh, and that was my concern with the U S when, you know, Ernie Stewart resigned and Brian McBride resigned and Greg Berhalter was going through his situation. And it was like, wow, what's going to happen with the dual nationals? You know, what's, you know, who's going to be minding the store on that and credit to Anthony Hudson. He's, he's, you know, that's been an area of focus for him too. And, um, and so, you know, it, it's just it, it. You wonder who's minding the store. And, and granted, you know, Diego Coca is still you know, a couple of games into his managerial tenure, so you know, it, he might have other priorities at the moment. But um, I mean, that's where the federation has to come in and provide support and and remind them that you know this this area of recruitment, for lack of a better word, this area of focus is still out there and needs to be managed and needs to be. Uh, looked at so um you know it's uh it, it's been just kind of fascinating to watch and uh but there there are always ebbs and flows to this kind of thing i mean <laughs> you know when the u.s lost jonathan gonzalez you oh know, boy, yeah when i mean it was the sky was falling and you know and it was you know with this disaster now i mean time has since proved that it wasn't you know the huge loss that everyone thought it was going to be but um you know, it's so again, it's like I said, there, there's going to be back and forth and, um, you know, but it, it certainly helps the U.S. that, you know, they, they seem to be on top of the moment getting guys like Zendejas and then we'll see how how big an impact uh, Brandon Vasquez ends up having. Yeah, it's it's so early in the stage, but, you know, you have this six foot two classic center forward with athletic traits. I mean, he hasn't been on fire this season, but he certainly was last season where he's getting a. Uh, he got interest for a big move to Chivas because of his yeah. uh, Mexican lineage. And now there was a uh, uh, a flyer out there of Borussia Mönchengladbach who do have an American player. And now you're like, okay, there, there's he's his people are paying attention. Maybe not so much in Mexico, but I think you make a great point about when all of this happened with Greg Berhalter and and Ernie Stewart leaving, and we thought there this would be a moment where the United States would lose ground 
because there's no one in charge in those positions. And it's kind of been the opposite. And I guess we give Anthony Hudson a lot of credit. I'm sure there's a lot of people that have uh, maybe people behind the scenes that we're not sure are helping in these uh, in this process. But Mexico, as you mentioned, going through transition, however, uh, losing losing a little track, at least in this capacity with regards to getting players. And we also got to remember that they are behind the U.S. in the rankings, the FIFA rankings, although we can't look into that, but more so in the results. They um, I think the last four games, the U.S. unbeaten, including three wins, all in in FIFA competitions or from the World Cup to the Nations League to uh, the Gold Cup final, if we go back to 2021. But just an overhead look uh, for from you, Jeff, about Mexico and where they are, because uh, I, I it, this is to me the the most troubling part. And as you said, it, it feels like they have to kind of hit a little bit of a, a, a lower tier before they can come back up. But the talent level is not, you know, taking your breath away by any means. And these 50-50 things with the U.S., whether it's on the field, whether it's in recruitment, are going in the U.S.'s favor. So how, where, where do we see Mexico in the, in the picture of CONCACAF and maybe on the globe stage as well? Yeah, I mean, there's, they're at a low ebb. I mean, maybe the lowest that I can remember. Um, and you, it, it makes you wonder just in terms of, of opportunities for young players. Um, you know, it, there, there are some, believe me, there, there are some fantastic players playing overseas right now. I mean, Edson Alvarez, you know, with Ajax comes to mind, um, a, a fantastic player. And, and you know, <laughs> rivaling Tyler Adams for the best number six in CONCACAF. I mean, I would maybe even put him a little bit ahead because, you know, of his ability to kind of contribute to the attack and pop up for the odd goal. So, um, but it just seems like, there aren't a whole lot of opportunities for young, for young players to break through. And um, I think a, a big difference between Liga MX and, and MLS is that MLS isn't afraid to, to, to move young players on anymore. I mean, they, they are providing those opportunities. And, and then you have guys, you know, like a Josh Winder who's playing in USL, who's kind of chosen to go that route and get experience at a very young age. And so I, I just think, the paths for, for us players are more varied and uh, it, it's just a, a more open path in terms of getting over to Europe. And you don't see that as much on Mexico's side. I mean uh, you know, I remember back in the day, you know, they were, they were mandating minutes for, for younger players. Um, I don't think they're doing that anymore. And so you, you wonder how much of an impact that's having. Um, so it's, it's just interesting to see all of that kind of come into play. And, and Mexico is also a league that I think uh, where foreign players from South America come in and, and, and take up a lot of the playing oxygen, if you will. And sure. so oh, for, for, for 100%. Um, and you know, that's not to say that the same thing doesn't happen in MLS, but that's where I come back to MLS being more willing to move players on. Um, it's, it's a revenue stream for a lot of them now. I mean, God, you look at what the Chicago Fire did with um, uh, John Duran, and, and granted, he's not American, but Gagas Lenina is, and so that's, um, you know, that all it all kind of adds up where they're they're giving opportunities to young players, and American players are included in that mix, and so uh, it's, I mean, granted, it, it's always tough to see, you know, when the pendulum swings pretty far one way, it's always tough to see how it's going to come back, but. Um, 
and you know that it will, but it's, I feel like we're going to be waiting a while for that to happen. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, we'll see. Listen, it only takes 11. You only need 11 guys. I mean, granted, you want your player pool to be much deeper than that, but, you know, we'll see if, if some guys, uh, some Mexican players like him, Santiago Jimenez can, can continue their, their upward trajectory and, and make a real difference in terms of the overall progress of the national team. And just even in the World Cup, when we saw Tata Martino, he was he wasn't just reluctant. He did not want to incorporate the young players. He went to the old guard. It was uh, Hector Herrera and even Andres Guardado popping. It was the old guard that have one last go, and it it failed. It failed very pretty miserably in the end, as they didn't even make the round of sixteen. The U.S. the only team from uh, a Concacaf to do that. So uh, they can, because of that, certainly feel, feel themselves as the the top dog in the region for now. And everything we have seen would suggest that that they they are comfortably there. Uh, it's you have Canada, which we can't really diminish. They've been very impressive, certainly in these nation games. Too. Do you think and you, Kyle Lahren said it? He, I mean, he said it in passing. I mean, we we, we kind of jumped at him, but he was just saying, "Hey, we are we are we feel like the top dog," which uh, I, I don't think anyone can. Um, we you can argue it but I mean there's enough there for Canada to suggest that they have it and just looking at their talent I mean it's um, at least the top level talent is for me the best uh, Alfonso Davies goes a long way but Jonathan David and uh, Tejan Buchanan and even Steven Eustachio and these guys but is just maybe a, a, a double-barreled question how how far do you think Canada is up and then how important is it for Canada not just for the USA, but for Mexico to have a little more crowd at the top of CONCACAF because we've, we really haven't had that. Yeah. I mean, listen, Costa Rica's had some, some great runs over the years. Um, to me, they, they, they still strike me as a bit of a team in transition at the moment. You know, you, you talk about old guard, um, you know, with guys like uh, Celso Borges and, and the like, um, you know, but I, yeah, I think it's, it's important. It's important to have multiple rivals. It can't just be the U S and Mexico, you know, with the with Costa Rica occasionally, you know, getting in there. I mean, I think it's, it benefits the whole region when a country like Canada raises their game, you know, starts producing players that everybody wants, um, you know, and again, I think that's another country that has multiple pathways now, um, you know, Obviously, you've got guys who are doing well in MLS. You've got guys who have gone straight to Europe. You've got guys who are, you know, making the professional starts in the Canadian Premier League. Um, I mean, I think that it all kind of bubbles up and 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 helps the overall process. Um, I mean, I I think, you know, I think it was it was Mark Dos Santos who who, who said, "Oh, we don't really develop players and you know do this," but I think a lot of development has to do with opportunity and when those opportunities are there and hey, if you run into a dead end somewhere, you can, you know, the, the water can find another path downstream and, 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 and make its way. So, uh, so I think that's what Canada ha has really benefited from. And, um, and so, yeah, I think the whole region is going to benefit from having Canada do well and, uh, and listen, they produce some fantastic players. I mean, like the ones you mentioned. And, uh, you know, we'll see how much they're able to sustain it. 
Um, you know, Costa Rica was able to sustain it for for quite a long time. Um, and it's not like those players for Canada have all of a sudden disappeared and gotten old, you know, or, I mean, Atiba Hutchinson keeps, you know, going and going and going, but, um, uh, you know, I, I think it'll be interesting to watch, you know, how well they're able to sustain it this summer. Um, it's been a slow burn um, with Canada and, uh, but I, you know, from a neutral perspective, it's great to see them come up and, and challenge the U S because the complaint has been for so long. Oh, they're just not any good games in CONCACAF. And, yep. you know, it's a waste of time. And so when it, when a team, when a country like Canada starts to to rise up and, and put a good team together, you know, that, that just makes for better games more often. And so, uh, you know, I think that's something that's going to help everyone, especially with no world cup qualifying for those three countries heading into the 2026 world cup. Yeah, it's tremendous. And, and I'm optimistic about some of the Central American countries. El Salvador has made a few breakthroughs and you would have to imagine. You mentioned Costa Rica. They'll have talent. Honduras will find talent. Uh, hopefully, CONCACAF, because they're gonna, they're looking at six World Cup bids. So you don't want right. you, you want them to have a good showing when uh, that 2026 rolls around. And, you know, Canada, when when you look further in and I, as I've been doing, you know, their federation is. You know, upsetting some people. Um, certainly, we saw with, on the women's side, Christine Sinclair. I had Sid Sichero talk about, and you know, uh, they're they're maybe handling it not the best way. It, it circles back to what's going on with the U.S. And to answer the to to ask the question about when they're going to be a sporting director, will there be another someone to fill that Brian McBride role, which may have been feeling like a bit surplus in the big picture of things, and then obviously the coach as well with uh, Anthony Hudson there. Some people saying um, maybe make it e easy and disappoint him. Um, there's article with Henry Bushnell about Greg Berhalter, how uh, before all of this with the rain has happened, that he was uh, being uh, heavily considered to return. Uh, by the way, that article, when you see what Greg Berhalter was doing, reading all the books, meeting all the people, going above and beyond to make himself better, it, it, to me, it give, gives you some comfort about a guy who is trying to do the work, whether he is the right guy or not, trying to do the work to be uh, the best uh, manager, making relationships all over the world. Uh, and that was part of with this, this symposium that he got involved with. But uh, he was doing it. He wasn't sitting on his hands by any means. But um, we know the date for the summers there. Uh, I get a little uncomfortable hoping that we'd hear something. I mean, where have you been about where this process has been and where do you think uh, – uh, the U.S. might fill those positions. I mean, the first time I heard about hiring, you know, the sporting director first, okay, that makes sense. But then not hiring a manager until September. I mean, I was aghast. I'm just like, that is a lot of time that you wouldn't say wasted because I think Anthony Hudson is doing some good things, but it's not optimal. You're not maximizing. And so... And then you're wondering at that time of year, who, who's going to be available? Who are you going to get? Um, you know, I, I think to a degree, the USSF leadership has been sandbagging a little bit on the timeline because I've heard that, you know, they're looking at weeks, not months in terms of naming the sporting director. And I mean, I kind of suspected that all along. And from what I'm hearing, that's the case, but, you know, it's a show me, don't tell me. I mean, I'm not going to believe it until, you know, the, the sporting director is actually on board. You hope that that would be in the May timeframe. And then 
you know, that gives them a little bit of a running start in terms of coaches that are going to be available in the summer. And, you know, and, and, you know, I'm sure they'll, they'll cast a wide net there as well and, and talk to guys who, who already have jobs, but um, you know, it's, it, the, the timeline always concerned me and it's different this time because, you know, for 2022, the fact that the world cup was being held in, in December meant you, you had a little bit more time. I mean, that, that year that was spent kind of talking, not talking to Greg Berhalter, um, it didn't cut as deep because there was kind of that additional six months in the back end that you wouldn't normally have. But now it's, now it's going to be shorter. I mean, that, that has a ripple effect for, for 2026. So, um, uh, you know, I just try to, you know, they keep saying they want to make the right decision. They don't want to make the fast decision. I get that, but I, I think, I don't think it's as, you know, black and white, all or nothing, as you know, they would make that scene, but um, you know, hopefully, you know, they do get that sporting director in the next couple of weeks. And again, they can, they can really start attacking uh, the hiring process for, for the next manager. It, it's, it's been remarkable with this and then the investigation and everything that's going on. Uh, just when you think it's going to get quiet with U S soccer or the U S men's national team, things come alight. And I, I would imagine something's going to happen here soon because they want to, they want to keep us talking and that's good. That's good yeah. for all of us. Oh, too. Yeah. But Absolutely. by the way, before we, have, um, uh, we part ways here, 2023, there's a lot on the plate. Uh, obviously we'll have the women's world cup will is a, is a different animal. I can't wait for that. It's going to be, I think the best world cup by a long shot because the competition, so much cream is rising to the top there, but just from the men's and the, the men's side, what is, is there something that excites you maybe above the, the rest? We have the Nations League in Las Vegas, which is going to be a lot of fun. The Gold Cup just was announced. The U.S. will be in a group with Jamaica, Nicaragua, and a team to be determined. Uh, they headed in SoFi Stadium. They're going to have games there. There's some great venues, I think, too. Some new venues as well. I think St. Louis and then there's Cincinnati and Charlotte are going to be involved. And the under-20s, very optimistic about what that group can do, and that could also... You know, we, we talked about a guy like Caleb Wiley. He probably would, could project into that team as well. And that's coming up here in a month in May. Uh, is there something that sticks out that uh, you'd be more excited to cover as it uh, applies to uh, the men's side of the U.S. Uh, soccer area? Um, I mean, I am excited about the U-20s. And I, you know, I it's TBD, you know, in terms of my time and in terms of how, especially with the women's world cup coming up and how much time I'm going to be able to devote to that. But, um, I am, you know, I think everyone's waiting for a guy like Cade Cowell to really kind of take that next big step. And, um, you know, I think he had a couple of assists last weekend against Kansas city. And so, and including one great ball on, on the first goal. And, I don't think we mentioned, but he's on this U S roster. Right, He's on this, this current U S team too. I mean, I remember back in January, it's like people are going, oh, this guy, that guy's going to step up. I'm like, listen, two guys, Alejandro Zendejas and Cade Cal. That's it. I mean, that's that's really, you know, when it, when it came to the Nations League, that they were the only candidates to really, you know, take that next step. And and certainly a guy like Zendejas, you know, I, you can never have too much depth, even at a posi position like, you know, the attacking wing positions where the U.S. seems to have – a lot of guys that, you know, whether it's 
uh, Tim Weah or Gio Reyna or Pulisic or Brendan Aronson. I mean, it, it seems like, you know, they, they, it, they're they pretty stacked there, but, you know, like I said, injuries, you never form. I mean, it's always good to have a guy with the talent and the ability of, of a Zendejas, you know, come in and, and really challenge. And so, um, you know, that'll be, I, I think the ebb and flow within the roster. And I think also, you know, finding a, you know, checking out and seeing if there's going to be a Tyler Adams replacement. I mean, that that job has been Kellen Acosta's for, for a while now. Um, is there anyone else that's really going to, to kind of stake their claim to that? Because, I mean, I think that's always been an, a, a position of concern. Um, I mean, I remember, I think it was the Nations League game in 2021, and that was another one where Tyler Adams was coming off of an injury and he came on the field, I think in extra time or maybe towards the end of regulation. Um, and the difference was just noticeable right away. I mean, the amount of ground he was covering the tackles he was getting in. And so, I mean, I think that speaks to just how valuable he is and, and you hope he, he can recover from this, this latest injury. Um, but yeah, I think the U S needs some cover in that area. So, I mean, it's, not huge storylines, but it's it's bits and pieces on the roster where you're hoping that some new blood will will emerge and and you know really really challenge for spots and and make for a deeper team because uh, that will you know that will aid the U.S. long term you know as it as it heads closer to the to the big event in 2026. I, I love that shout about Tyler Adams because a lot of guys have been tried and it's not quite the right fit. I would put Kellen Acosta there. They put. Luca Della Torre, but it wasn't in a situation. I mean, it was he was playing Grenada. Depends on the opponent, you know. Yeah, and, 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 you can't. It's not the right. Um, it's not the right uh, time to put the microscope on there. Johnny Cardoso there, but it's, yeah. Tyler Adams. I mean, it's not just the U.S. I mean, they miss him at Leeds big time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They've been hemorrhaging goals, but that's added to the list, Jeff. An exciting yeah. list we have to cover, and uh, he'll be all over it, as you said. Follow Jeff on his social media handles, uh, working uh, with uh, ESPN and the exciting coverage that's coming up for the Women's World Cup. It's going to be game-changing for the women's game. We can't wait for that, as well as all the U.S. soccer fixtures coming up, and they're going to be coming in very quickly, including Wednesday night against uh, Mexico and the Continental Classico, which I believe is on TNT, or uh, I'll have to double-check. I, I lose track with TNT or HBO. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> I love what they're doing. It's not on our air anymore. It's not on our air. It's, it's a, you, really have to, you really have to be adventurous to keep up to speed to watch American soccer here. But that's the way it is. It's never going to be easy, Jeff. Nope, never. <laughs> Appreciate your time, my friend. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to you pretty soon. We'll continue here. Stoppage time coming up. We'll give you my uh, reflections on uh, the big game at uh, the Dignity House Sports Park with LAFC and the Galaxy. That's next. Time now for stoppage time. Got to experience something pretty remarkable this weekend. As you know, I, uh, in addition to working for MLS Season Pass and Apple TV and MLS, I also still work with LAFC during the week, helping with their content. It's a great gig. They treat me wonderfully, and they have exposed me to something incredible. And you know, working for LAFC, they are trying to be a global brand, and they're succeeding right now. They have done it every way. And I've talked to a lot of clubs. What happened in L.A. with LAFC, it takes a lot of work, a lot of love, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, but it's possible in any marketplace. 
And I've seen some success stories, as I mentioned, with Columbus re-energizing that fan base. I've seen it to a lesser degree with Dallas. Dallas starting to fill their... It, it's just getting out there. It requires a lot of rolling up your sleeves. But we, we know about the great fan bases, um, in, obviously in Portland and Seattle. Um, Atlanta has come a long way in building theirs. But there are success stories there, and there's going to continue to be because it's fun. Something that you can do on your weekend and make party and be a lifestyle. And it set up this situation. The Galaxy in major, major peril. Uh, haven't won a game, still haven't won. They played pretty well as against LAFC, which they've done in many other games as well. Uh, they want Chris Klein, their president, out. Um, I know Chris Klein pretty well. I, I, I feels like he's been a bit of a fall guy here. I think the club could have done a lot better in talking to their supporter groups, and now they have to deal with this mess. Chris Klein is uh, is not really the problem, uh, but he has been I, I identified as the guy. They had a plane flying over with Chris Klein out. I think uh, the supporter groups have got to step up. They 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 they've got to come up there and and. and Obviously, success for the Galaxy will go a long way. I think they'll start getting some wins here. They're just too, they have too many good players. They have too many good players to be this poor. But it's also telling the quality of MLS that if you're not, if you don't have your house in order, you will suffer. And we're seeing that with uh, Sporting Kansas City. Portland's starting to come out of their slumbers. But uh, it can be a cruel league, too. It's not going to get you relegated, I know, but it can be cruel. Uh, you want to have success. And the Galaxy, I think, will be in the playoff positions by season's end. And it's a forgiving playoff season. We know that as well. This isn't so much about the Galaxy, but it, it is because since their supporter groups were protesting and they didn't really turn out, it was an opportunity for the LAFC fan base, the 3252, to come out and was hearing talks about how they were going to take over that stadium, and they did. It was black and gold everywhere. And that section, check out my social media and so much on LFC, it was like four sections. And when they scored, uh, I think it was the second goal and they were doing jump for LA football club. It was a, it was a visual that you would see at soccer venues in Germany or Brazil where you're like, wow, I got to go down and experience that. Well, you don't, you can experience here in the U S highly recommend folks. If you come to LA, go to a show at the Hollywood bowl, go take a hike in Palos Verdes Go to Koreatown and have some Korean barbecue and go see an LAFC game. Don't go to the Santa Monica Pier. It's disgusting. Don't go to, well, go to Hollywood. Hollywood's interesting. I mean, but it's still a bit, it can be a bit rough. And, and you can go to Disneyland. It's Disneyland, all right. But if you just have a day or two, there's stuff to do that you can build around. LA's an incredible city. And LAFC is a big part of that viewing experience. And just to finish a thought earlier, LAFC has a partnership with Bayern Munich. They have now aligned with this club in Austria that they're hoping to build up. So they're making these European connections. They're bringing in European players. We see what's happening. LAFC is going five years from now, 10 years from now, going to be a club that the world knows, that everyone wants to come to. Uh, it needs some help. You know, there's there's the clubs in, in MLS that are doing well. It needs help by more of those clubs. And there's going to be pressure to raise the standard. But they're still unbeaten. 
They're in the semifinals of the CONCACAF Champions League. I, I would believe that they are the favorite to win it, and I think they will. Uh, and then we have this, this developing, and there are going to be some other super clubs. We need those, and I know I've said this before, but you need those top clubs to be bullies. And we need those clubs so that every week, you ha if you're a neutral, you tune into these games. Right? That's what you do with the Premier League. You tune in to see Manchester United, you tune in to Arsenal and Spurs, etc. We need that in MLS. We don't have enough of it. And, uh, you know, you, I think there's like four clubs that year in, year out, you would tune in for. But, you know, I, I want to do LAFC games for Apple TV. I can't because they're the featured game every week. And the number one team is Jake and Taylor. They'll get to do the LAFC games. And that's not going to change the way they're going. I should say St. Louis has more points than LAFC, but LAFC is the last of the unbeatens. So it was a, a pretty remarkable, optically, uh, situation that you had there at Dignity Health Sports Park. And, you know, LAFC, the one thing in the rivalry with the Galaxy that they hadn't done was win down there, and now they've done it. And I'm, ex look, I'm hoping that this raises the Galaxy, because by necessity, they will lose the city if they don't. I want the Galaxy to do well. I want both LA clubs to be there because the game was really good too. The last 30 minutes of that game was so much fun. It was wide open, chances, and you were like, it was like a tennis match. Your head was going back and forth. That's good. It's good for the league. And that gets people excited and neutrals involved and people coming to the games and people watching it on TV. LA has to be that stranglehold that that hold there that's why like when you have two clubs in a city when Milan and Inter are always good that rivalry is at another level um when on the flip side Barcelona Espanol yeah it's a rivalry but no one really notices because Espanol just can't keep pace and that's not really their fault that's Barcelona are an elite club but Barcelona's now moved on to other rivalries and maybe that's what LAFC does if they don't get that from the Galaxy so I want the Galaxy to do well, and I want LA to be, you know, Manchester. I want it to be Milan, where two teams in one city, everything stops when they play. LAFC is doing their part. Galaxy got to do their part, and I think this is a, you know, a, you know, kind of a rock. Maybe not a rock bottom, but you would hope that it's a rock bottom for the Galaxy, where they start getting their their house in order, so that that's this could be because the Galaxy has a lot going for it. It's got the five championships. It has the most social media numbers. Uh, it has its a history. Um, pe people know who they are because of Beckham and Donovan and Robbie Keane. They, they, th that that facility they down there, and you know, I know it's not downtown LA, but that facility is pretty remarkable. And they've updated it. And I always like walking in there. It feels it, it hits you hard. And there's some history there as well. But they got to figure some things out. But LAFC, just to, to put a bow on this, they empower their supporter base. And now the supporter base is leading. And they, I got to, I went up there and I sat with them for about 30, 40 minutes. Uh, I think it's also, I toot my own horn because I, 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 if you want to do what I do, you connect with those supporters. It's got to be authentic. And I love those guys. And I have conversations with them. And I stay in touch with them. And I go to their functions. And I'm better off as a result because of it, for having them in my life. And they treat me well, and I I hope to treat them well. I hope I do. Uh, but it's just amazing how 
They are almost on autopilot. They know what to do, but they're really happy. It's not always been this great for LAFC, but right now they're uh, tickled pink because of the success. Everything's going on with LAFC. Uh, it's, it is a, the biggest success right now in Major League Soccer, and hopefully others will go through that portal through with them. I know there's more I wanted to say, uh, but I don't know. I think that was pretty thorough. It's been a long show as is. We've covered a lot of ground, and it's always a short time to get there. The Soccer OG, rate, review, download, subscribe, tell a friend. We'll be back again next week. Some great guests on the horizon. A busy couple months uh, ahead of us here, too. Enjoy USA-Mexico Wednesday night because it's USA-Mexico, and we haven't had it in a long time. And get out and see MLS. Wherever city you're in, we're in this together. The Soccer OG will be back again next week. Until I see you then, Palacio Domingo.